Hi guys, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will. We got Brian with us today. What's up, heretics? You guys know what we do here. We help you escape your church's echo chamber, learn to think biblically, and of course, challenge that status quo that always needs challenging. Um, you and I are definitely challenging some lately, I feel like, in our Genesis series, uh, which again, on YouTube, is not the most popular, but audio, we appreciate you guys sticking with us. Because you guys are the true MVPs. Are we just like boring to look at when we're doing Genesis? Or I guess on? so. Like it's really funny because like the, it's not even mildly low. Like on YouTube, it's like pathetically low compared to all our other videos. I am gonna put a clip of something funny in the middle of this. So you're gonna have to watch it on YouTube to see what it is. There you go. There you go. So uh, if you actually do want to su support the channel, guys, and what we and the work we do here. Uh, go, you can support us, of course, on Patreon. That goes straight to only the Church Split account, and we use it for any expenses we might have. Uh, but, of course, you can always watch on YouTube and just give us the algorithm. That does help because if you're actually subscribed on YouTube and you don't listen on YouTube, it actually can hurt the algorithm because it says that there's subscribers, but there's, there's no engagement. So help us out a little bit there if you're on YouTube. At least watch us for like 10, 20 minutes and then switch to audio maybe once in a while. Um, and also, don't forget to leave us a five-star Apple review because the last one that was written out uh, with something uh, nice was October 28th. Let's get that moving. Okay. <laughs> I, my we do enjoy your, to be all the really hilarious. No, the, we, have, we have some of the best. Reviews. Like, I think what, okay, I will say this. One of the funniest ones that cracked me. So there's, this last one was really nice. Uh, looking forward to each episode is what this guy says. Uh, his name is Happy Teacher. But this guy says, great podcast. You guys do one of three things to me. Make me rethink my position, completely change my mind on a subject, or just plain piss me off. Either way, I'm thankful for what you do. Keep challenging us, too. <laughs> that person is hilarious. But we need to talk about our favorite comment. Heck, yeah. Quote, if you have free time and you like to enjoy that free time, do not subscribe to the church split. <laughs> if you subscribe, you will no longer have any free time. Your time will be filled with constantly challenging traditions with scripture and taking down sacred cows. Ethan. Also, just a shout out to Brittany Fittis, who says that me literally peeling an onion will, when dealing with theology and philosophy, it's like peeling back at layers of an onion. Me, what? <laughs> just looking around. What's going on here? I'm stalking. So anyway, uh, all the joking and formalities aside, uh, all the internet jargon, we want to jump into Genesis chapter four. Now, Genesis, of course, has had, has had a few themes. Um, one is, of course, mankind's free will and God um, being along with man during this and interacting with man and working with man. We saw in the last one um, the various different things that came from the fall. And you'll notice as well that, and we talk about the Yetzer Hara, Yetzer Hatov, the, the desire for good and evil that every human being was born with since the very beginning, but they weren't held accountable to that until they had knowledge of good and evil, which by the way is uh, when you understand that the Bible makes a lot more sense. A lot of those different things like in Romans two, well, where there is no law, there is no condemnation because yeah. how can there be condemnation without a law? It's not fair. Uh, so therefore God will judge the, them and either accuse them or excuse them based on th their works, essentially. Um, then cr cr God can apply the sacrifice. So I know people don't like that, but, um, it, this is, Hey, wh whatever challenge you status quo. So when you understand that, the, uh, so we're getting more into original sin territory again here. Uh, and of course the doctrine of original sin was primarily, uh, popularized by Augustine and 
he, uh, of course, there was a, a couple other church fathers that had a similar view, but not quite to the extent of Augustine, and he's the one who articulated it uh, the most. So, um, uh, you know, again, I'm careful when it comes to doctrines that seem to have come later. Now, I'm not saying that they're always wrong. I'm just saying I'm careful, and if I see a more consistent position in the past, I'm going to try to hold that to that more. So point is, is that in Genesis 4, I think we see, again, the doctrine of original sin coming under fire. Mm -hmm. um, and you're going to see that a little bit here because there's a very specific interaction with Cain and Abel. Now, Cain and Abel, this story is actually really fascinating. And I, Genesis in general is excruciatingly fascinating, wouldn't you say? Like, Oh, yeah, we've had a lot of feedback, too. It's like there's a lot to unpack here, and it's been fun just for us going through it because even as we kind of reread it and reread it and prepare our notes, like, oh, wait, I, I missed this before. Right. And there's a couple times we've recorded this, and we're like, oh, we forgot to say that, too, because there's so much There's so much here. Right, and, and there's a way that Genesis is written that no other book is really written in besides maybe Revelation, and it is just this idea of picture upon picture, and this has this implication, this has that implication. Um, so there's a lot to it, guys. So I'm just, I've been enjoying it, and like, even though we joke around about YouTube uh, views going, going down, we don't really care, because <laughs> I do, I, we do this for fun. Yep. This is not, I mean, would I love to do this full-time? Uh, yeah. Would, would, would you like to do it full-time one day, Brian? I mean, depends. I also really like doing computer stuff. That's true. <laughs> I would love to do this sort of thing, this sort of thing, ministry and stuff full-time, but um, unfortunately, ministry doesn't pay a lot, so we do this as our hobby, so we're not here to make money. Ha. This um, is just our excuse to hang out with each other on Thursday nights. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, um, let's just go ahead and jump in. So if you guys have your uh, we use a lot of times the English Standard Version, or I'll use the complete Jewish Bible. Um and that just helps us understand some things. Now, Brian might butcher some of these Jewish names. Um, I think I would. I'm not even going to attempt it. Oh, okay, so am I in charge of the verses? You are in charge of the verses. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to just jump into Genesis chapter one, uh, chapter four, verse one, and it says this: The man had sexual relations with Hava, which Hava is Eve. Okay, with Hava, his wife, she conceived, gave birth to Cain, which is Cain, and said, "I have acquired a man from Adonai." So the man has sexual relations with his wife, Havah, his wife. She conceived, gave birth to Cain, and I have acquired a man from Adonai. Now, Cain or Cain, uh, this literally means his name in Hebrew. And of course, Hebrews names, Hebrew names always have connotation to them about their character or their origin. Uh, I, th I think that's a really cool thing that they have. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it literally means to have acquired or something that to be produced. Also can mean a spear way out there in left field, but okay. <laughs> um, it, it means rather instead of being created by God, that this was something that they acquired by working together as husband and wife. Giggity. <laughs> Are you embarrassed? No, I just got to adjust the, the Facebook or the YouTube rating when I publish this. <laughs> <laughs> well, working together, that's what we said. This is not and suddenly make it rated R, Brian, <laughs> you and your little G-rated brain. Um, I'm just a good Christian. What can I say? Well, look, dude, the Bible <laughs> says right there sexual relations, okay? It's the Bible. Uh, and that's also uh, so a random side note here that's not even related to any of my notes. That This kind of goes into that whole thing where it's like, again, the Jews are not taboo about sex. It's just a thing. To them, like, yeah, that's how, that's how it happens. <laughs> and uh, uh, Christians were all, like, weirdly taboo about it, which I think causes issues in churches, actually. But anyway, that's not what today's topic's about, much to Brian's chagrin, I'm sure. Um, so, and then right here it says... Uh, so I want to talk about this a little bit because is this Adam and Eve's first kids? That's a good question. 
Yeah, there's a lot of debate about this. <laughs> a lot of debate. Um, so many take Eve here where it says that she her name was Hava because she was the mother of all living to indicate that Adam and Eve actually had already born children, which is really an interesting thought. Like, oh, were they already having kids at this point? And we don't really know about the uh, them until they're specifically named here because these are important ones. Or <laughs> the other ones weren't as important because there wasn't anything crazy that happened. You're just a footnote in the Bible. Sorry. <laughs> um, I wouldn't mind being a footnote in the Bible. <laughs> kind of cool. Um, but the other thing is that's uh, interesting to mention here is that um, this could be the fact that they've only had female children up to this point. Uh, because the Bible, many of you guys probably already know this, the genealogies were always given primarily with males. Mm -hmm. uh, it was like the, he was the family line. Uh, it was how it was traced. And people have, by the way, th think that's sexist and misogynistic. But fun fact for you, the way this has worked and the reason why is, and the reason why, like, your kid will take on the male last name. Do you know why this, with this, Brian? No, I don't know if I'm you... I'm about to learn some, some new stuff. Oh, this is interesting. So the reason why is because nobody ever questions the mother's genealogy. Because she gave birth to it. She, they saw her pregnant with it. They saw her breastfeeding the child. She always had a claim because it was obvious, mm -hmm. right? It's really hard to be like, no, you're really not her mother. Why? Because you didn't birth her. You were never <laughs> pregnant with her. Like, so they know that. With the men, they don't. <laughs> you, they don't know that. So they all, that's why we, the kids take on the male last name because it's the way to reflect the father in the relationship. Um, it really adds a, a balance to it. Yeah, that way you get both. That way the man's not completely left out. Also because in Judaism and in Israel, the man was, again, the administrator and the, the legal representative of his home. Therefore, he was all that was responsible. Therefore, those also his kids. So um, hmm. not that they weren't, uh, there was no mother involved, but that's why. So fun fact for you. Um, more like complementarianism coming through again. But uh, <laughs> anyway, um, so... However, it would seem, though, that Cain, of, of course, I think uh, personally that Cain is the first child due to his name because it means I have acquired. Like, So I think I personally would th say that this is probably, I think, their first kid. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm saying I'm more leaning that direction. Do you have a direction you lean on that one? Yeah, I lean more that it's it's their first kid just because that's what it says. It seems but... noteworthy that, that well, yeah, we're going to name their first child be, and make that a big thing. I think it's fun to get kind of think about some of the things that are kind of in between the words or not explicitly said, but I always kind of go back to, but what does it actually say? Yeah. So. Or, or like, let's not add too much stock into theory. Um, mm -hmm. you know, I like to explain theories and how they can help explain and make sense of parts of the Bible. Like, you know, I talked about in Genesis one where there's like, there's a gap theory and there's day age theories, all these different theories. I try not to get too like hardcore on any of the theories, uh, besides what the Bible says specifically. So anyway, but the point is, no matter what you believe, uh, it is agreed that they were the only male offspring. Okay, that is pretty well agreed. That these were the, so whether they were the first male offspring, the feel, they've had other offspring, but they were first male offspring, or they were the first kids and therefore the male, whatever. Okay, um, it doesn't matter. And then also uh, we'll get late into later that the um, according to Jewish uh, history, they actually were both the uh, Cain was a twin and Abel was a triplet. And the other ones were girls. So <laughs> anyway, um, verse two, uh, verse two says, in addition, she gave birth to his brother, Havel, which is Abel. Havel uh, kept sheep while Cain worked the soil. 
So this is just going into, hey, you know, one was a farmer, uh, a farmer with sheep, and one was, I don't know, you, you worked the fields. So it makes sense of the two, the two boys, right? And we just we went through Genesis three last time. We talked about what was some of the the curse that um, was the ground, and Adam was going to have to work it hard. So you see this kind of balance of animals and, and field um, that they're taking care of, right? And that also the balance of one has to take care of. Uh, livestock, one's going to take care of plants. If there's very few people, you know, that makes sense. So uh, a fun fact, so Havel or Abel means vapor or vanity <laughs> uh, because it, it's, the point of the name is to try to say, show that everything that is ungodly is nothingness and vain, that all earthly pleasures are just vapor, essentially. Um, so it's almost like they're calling back. So according to Bereshit Rabbah, and <laughs> what would you do you want to tell people what you thought that said earlier? When I read that, I was like, does this say bear shit <laughs> in our notes? <laughs> bear sheet. What is Will talking about Bear sheet. <laughs> so according to Bear Sheet Rabah 22-7, Cain was born with a twin sister, and Havel was born uh, with two uh, sisters, as is indicated in the words in the Hebrew. There's et, meaning with, and it is w used once with Cain and twice with Abel. So it's trying to like indicate maybe more. So evidently, they even had a quarrel, uh, according to uh, Bereshit Rabbah, not Bereshit. Um, <laughs> evidently, they even had a quarrel on who would marry the third sister, and Cain pulled rank as the oldest. He's like, no, I get the third sister because I'm the oldest. Now, I want you guys to understand is awe in all of that real quick. Marrying your sister is obviously usually forbidden in the Torah and the Tanakh, but this was purely for population purposes. Um it was because at the time there's, and again, God has worked differently through with different people throughout the ages. I don't think anyone disagrees on that, that the, that has been built up upon. Um, right here we see that, yeah, of course they had to because something had to work. Now, granted, people have often wondered what uh, the gene pool was like in order for this to happen. Because no matter what, even if you're an evolutionist, you have to believe the fact that some of the, these, are, they're all connected to a single organism right to some degree so even then there had to be a shared gene pool at some point yeah i think it just is a testament to to god's perfect creation that he made man so perfect genetically that he, at this time it was not a problem to essentially mate with your genetic relatives because you don't have these genetic anomalies that we have now where it causes different um different illnesses and different problems and birth defects uh, when you're mating so closely to your genetic equal. Yeah, there's a lot of been a biologist that have talked about this, and there's actually a lot of interesting theories. I'm not a biologist. I'm a theologian and a philosopher at Max, so I am not, not going to sit there and try to speak on how that could work. But there has been a lot of interesting stuff there that you might find interesting. Go look it up. Google it. It was a little bit different time <laughs> then than it is now. <laughs> exactly. So uh, this goes into the is-ought fallacy, okay? Just because it is in the Bible doesn't mean it ought to always be that way. Uh, you know, like, you know, G like for example, divorce. We all know God hates divorce. Meanwhile, there is, uh, of course, there are, is room for divorce under the right circumstances. And that's just because it is in the Bible doesn't mean it ought to always be, right? So like murder. Right, which we're about to talk about. So the is ought fallacy is a thing, but anyway. So Abel was a shepherd and Cain was a farmer. And this is important, okay, because in this, the moment here, of course, we know that everyone's probably pretty familiar with the story where uh, Cain makes a sacrifice, one's accepted, one's not. We're about to get into that. But like Peter Ruckman, yeah, you know, the Ruckmanites, the Dr. Peter Ruckman, I 
use doctor very loosely. <laughs> Peter Ruckman said that it was because Cain didn't bring meat to sacrifice. That's why he was turned down. And that's simply not the truth. Uh, so again, shout out to Brad and Seamus at Alternate Media. Um, I was looking up some of this and I, I asked them questions once in a while just to be like, hey, help me out here. You're going to save me a lot of reading of articles. <laughs> and they'll kind of point me in the right direction and I can go from there. So uh, versus, and by the way, you can find them here. All right, we'll, put, we'll insert the link in their, their logo here. Um, so verse three through five says this. In the course of time, Cain brought an offering to Adonai, who is the Lord, which is God, from the produce of soil of the soil, and Hevel too brought from the firstborn of his sheep, including their fat. Adonai accepted Hevel and his offering, but did not accept Cain and his offering. Cain was very angry, and his face fell. So, what was the issue with the sacrifices? That's yeah. a really that's a good question, right? Well, what, what, yeah. is God just capricious? You know, that's a question that, uh, that some comes people up. say that. <laughs> yeah, some people would say that. Um, if, if even if you're of certain theological leanings, it would almost seem like that would be true. Um, so, was it because his heart wasn't right? That's the so a lot of people don't think it's the meat thing anymore. An evangelical Christian is like, oh, he just didn't have a right heart with God. If he just loved Jesus properly, his his sacrifice. I love the accepted. accent you're using for that, the, like the basic Valley girl. <laughs> yeah, he just didn't love God enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> so what it really was is that this um, really came down. Notice the text, and again, you have to get into Hebrew thought here of what the text is indicating. Havel or Abel gave his firstborn of the sheep. He gave his first fruits to God. That's what it was. He gave his first fruits to God, and Cain brought the leftovers. He brought what he could. What, he was like, okay, I guess this is good enough. Where Abel brought the firstborn, which essentially means God just was worthy for his leftovers, not his first fruits. You can imagine why God would get offended. Well, it's funny. We've been going through at church, Second um, Corinthians, um, and we're in the tithing chapters right now, and, and it talks very similar about this, that uh, you don't get to claim that, oh, I spent all my money, so sorry, God, I don't have anything to give. Um, that's not how that works. And I know a lot of people that actually tithe right now with, when they get their paycheck, they take money out immediately as the first part of their, of their, um, the fruits of their labor, and that's what they give to God. And I think that's kind of a cool way to do it, make sure that they, they're not giving God the leftovers, they're not giving dependent on what they didn't spend. Um, and it's, sh it's showing reverence. It's showing um, dedication to God. And we see that Abel does it correctly and Cain doesn't. Right. Also wanted to mention that um, when, when it comes to tithing, it was always your net, never your gross. Mm -hmm. A lot of people teach gross because, well, mm -hmm. that's what you got. That's your first fruits. It's like, well, yeah, but it's what you get <laughs> after everything's said and done. Like after the stuff that's taken out that you can't control, what do you actually have that's your first fruits? Um, so that's, I think, a little bit important. But taxes count before or after that? I'm just kidding. That's, that's, <laughs> the net is after taxes. <sighs> Do you even have a pay sub, bro? Um, anyway, <laughs> so this is reinforced, this idea of first fruits. is reinforced in Exodus 23, 19, where it says, The best of the fruit, first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. So again, first fruits is a continual concept throughout Scripture. So... I feel like I'm doing a lot of talking here, Brian, so feel free to interrupt whatever. Well, it makes sense that in Exodus, when God's uh, setting down the law for Israel, that this is part of it. 
right? This is the thing that he's condemning Cain for, is not giving the first fruits. So it makes sense that when he's establishing Israel how to give to God, he's saying, do it like Abel did. Right. That's and it's, it's, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a method of faith, too. So especially talking about meat versus crops, right? And Exodus talking about first fruits of the crops, um, it's, it's a showing of faith. I got this first crop, and I'm giving the best of that first crop to God, and I'm giving this to God on faith that he is going to continue to provide the second and third crop that season. Mm. So it, it's, it's showing faith in God, not just appreciation for he, that he gave it to you, but you're also saying, I'm giving this to you, God, because I know that you are going to continue to give us bounty in the field. Look at you. That's good. Good job, Brian. Thanks. I can say stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so verses 6 through 7 says, Adonai said to Cain, why are you angry? Why so downcast? If you are doing what is good, shouldn't you hold your head high? And if you don't do what is good, sin is crouching at the door. It wants you, but you can rule over it. Uh-oh. He can do good, huh? Yes. Or evil. Now, some people will sit here and say, well, it's because he was already a believer, so that's why he had this capability. But I want you guys to notice some of the verbiage here. So this explicitly is saying that it is possible to rule over sin. Now, notice Christ had to die. You died yet, so you can't say it was through the power of Christ. Um, I'm not saying that the power of Christ doesn't give you that, but you should get my drift here that that's not. This is actually a very troublesome verse for people to hold, who hold certain Protestant doctrines. It's possible to rule over sin. And the idea that you are born depraved and unable to do that which is good is complete hogwash. Because right here we see that you can rule over it. This is why you... Uh, so think about this for a second. If you didn't have your New Testament and all you had was indeed the Torah... And all you had was the law. So you're reading this, and you are trying to create a doctrine of sin, right? You're trying to figure out what, what is the doctrine of sin. What would you come to in conclusion when you just only had the law, as Christ only had the law, as Paul only had the Tanakh? I mean, that's all they had. It was the mm -hmm. Old Testament. So what, what would your method be? Well, looks like they could, mankind had the ability to do wrong before the knowledge of good and evil. Once they had it, they were accountable to it. Oh, wait, sin's at the door, and I can rule over it. These are going to, why, why, this would be extremely confusing and God being almost deceitful otherwise. Yeah. If this was ordained that Cain couldn't do otherwise, then this is, this is honestly like a little cruel discussion that God's having. Like, hey, you can rule over it. Just kidding. Just kidding. I decreed all that all will come to pass. You're going to kill your brother. Then I'm going to ask you about it. Then I'm going to make you lie about it. <laughs> uh, exactly. Um, and that's why uh, it's a problem. So also, this is also why. So if sin is able to be ruled over, um, in other words, you can do otherwise. That's kind of what God's saying here is you can do otherwise. Um, this is why you see atheists maybe who are alcoholics even, not saying that atheists are all alcoholics, so just get with the analogy. Those atheist alcoholics. <laughs> all of them are horrible people. If you uh, disagree with Will, put that in the comments. Good night. Don't do that. <laughs> so, but that's why you can see an atheist who might be an alcoholic recover at AA mm -hmm. and not be it and be an alcoholic anymore. And he might not know Christ. How can you say that he can't do good or rule over sin when he has disciplined himself to rule over it? Yeah, or talking to people that they were going to go cheat on their wife, and then the last minute, like, no, I'm not going to do this. Their sin was crouching the door. 
they had the desire for it, they had the will, the motivation, even probably the opportunity, and then they decided otherwise. Right. In fact, uh, you've, uh, I've heard stories like that, like where they had the opportunity, they even met up, but when they got there, they felt so guilty because God's law is written on their heart because they have the knowledge of good and evil and walked away. Mm -hmm. Again, this goes against the idea of original sin. This also goes against the idea of compatibilism. Here we go. I know our reform. I, we, we've, been getting, again. we've been getting crap in the RFP network because we're going after reform doctrine so hard. But again, I think a good understanding, a proper understanding of scripture can help you frame the world a little bit. And so in it, with original sin, it is taught that it is taught that we are born evil and hateful and sin, sinners against God. Problem is with that is that you see even kids do that, which is good and that which is bad. You see them enjoy giving their mother flowers or be sharing something with a kid, or maybe you see them not doing those things because they're, you know, they're being little crappy kids at the time. Yeah. But you see both, right? So this idea that you're born evil, wicked, and sinful means that they could not have done otherwise, which means they cannot, that sin is not, not just lurking at the door, but is through the door and only consumes them, and they cannot rule over it. Also, uh, compatibilism says essentially that we just do what we want, right? Well, you do, oh, God, God is completely in control, uh, all things are determined, and we freely do what we want, and what we want to do is sin. Therefore, it is a free choice that all I want to do is sin, because that's your only choice. It's the only decision you have is to sin, which, again, does not add up when you see the data of actual non-believers doing that, which is morally good, because if all they desire is sin, then why do they make self-sacrificing deeds to do that which is good? Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And then if you say it's because of the greatest desire... Um, well, then again, why is it then that we see that them do that which is good if all they do is desire to do sin? Well, we, we reference this in the Genesis 3 one, but I wanted to call an audible here quick and actually quote it. But James 1, 13 through 14 says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Actually, I'll go to verse 15. This says, Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So we see, just like we've been talking about, that it's desire that entices us. It's not, it's not God tempting us to go, well, let's see what he does. It's we're enticed by our own desire, and when we fall victim to following through with our evil desire, then it that sin. is when it becomes sin. And, and then what death. does sin bring? It brings death. So Right, which is why all have sin, because we all have the yetzer hurrah, we all have the desire for evil, and we are going to fall into that desire of evil. And that well. order doesn't make any sense if you apply original sin, because you're saying, you're, you're actually saying sin first. And depending on what level of Calvinism you are, you're actually saying death first, right? Dead in sin, sin, then evil desires, then God gives you a new desire, it's all backwards. That's not what James 1 is saying at all. Right. So, again, and this go, and James 1 reflects the Jewish teaching. So, again, it's almost like the writers of the Bible were Jewish, all besides, like, Luke. <laughs> and Luke, you could even argue, probably converted more to Judaism than the others. But he was the only Gentile writer. Okay. So... This here, it undercuts those. It undercuts that doctrine of you were born sin, sinners. And think about this as well. It's intuitive because you know for a fact in your heart that babies don't deserve hell. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why we keep trying to come up with all these different things of why uh, kids, you know, the age of accountability, why kids don't go to hell. And we keep trying to find ways around that as opposed to just going, guys, all you have to do is say that we're not born sinners. We're born with two de separate desires. 
we will give into our desires. That's all you have to say. And then once you give into your evil desire and you know better, you're held accountable to that. Yeah, Martin Luther thought that the the destination of infants who die was determined by the faith of their parents. That's not in scripture. That's creating kind of a crazy idea based on a false faulty premise. Well, Martin Luther also said that one of the most rebellious things we could do is have kids because they're just creating more sinners yeah. and haters against God. And then John Calvin said that, oh, when a baby dies, they may or may not be going to heaven because we don't know if they're elect or not. It's like, is that, and there's several different variations of that too. I wouldn't say all Calvinists believe that, but it just it, it's just an example of when you start with a, a faulty premise, you come up with strange explanations to come up and explain what you already see to be real. And like, well, okay, well, I see an innocent child. Okay, well, maybe they were innocent because they were elect, or oh, they're innocent because um, their parents were believers, and did the parents have to be become believers before the baby died or after? How does that work? What about stepdads? How does the whole thing doesn't just make any sense when you really kind of play the logic all the way through? Right, and the logic of uh, the the doctrine of original sin came from. Augustine originally, who popularized it because in the Latin that he was reading, he couldn't read Greek and Hebrew. Um, when the word desire came up was concupiscence, which always had a negative desire connotation in Latin. Mm -hmm. um, and so he's just seeing all negative desire all the time. Kind of like the word reckless, it. like people don't like the word reckless love because reckless always see, in our language usually has a negative connotation, um, even though it just means like, you know, regardless of consequence, which could be positive, but we have a negative connotation to it. So we go, no, we don't like that. A lot of people say that. Well, it's kind or of anger. Thing. Anger, we talk about in our English language. Yeah. We like, see God being angry, like, well, you can't be angry, that's that's a sin. Like, well, God was angry, so what does that mean? Right, <laughs> so some words have more of a negative connotation depending on your language and culture. Mm -hmm. And so he's seeing concupiscence, he goes, oh, desire. And he's reading all these parts about desire, and therefore he just goes, all desire must be evil. Even though it's not. God gives you healthy desires, right? So it is. It, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. But then people took Augustine, and he he was the most quoted ancient church father, um, the most quoted theologian of all the people during the Reformation. And when you start taking that, and then they build upon it, then you get people like Martin Luther saying it's rebellious to have kids, even though God literally says to populate the earth. Mm -hmm. So. It gets you in the wrong category, and that's why, guys, I know we come after Reformed Doctrine a lot lately, but it's because I honestly think um, it is a very faulty view. I think it's a very faulty view. Um, am I going to sit there and say that everyone who's a, a Reformed person is completely a heretic and going to hell? Absolutely, I am. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, no, I'm just saying I think it's wrong. I think it's completely wrong. And uh, I've said it about the IFB for a while. I'm saying it about the Reformed. I think it's just wrong because um, I think you're – you're also following a doctrine that was kind of invented almost 1,600 years later, and then you have to come up with the age accountability now because a lot of people don't like that. But if you're consistent, like Kelvin, you just say it's whether you're elect or not. Look, if you disagree, let's have a conversation about it. But I think we all want to know the truth. And we are more than willing to be convinced that Calvinism is true. We just don't see it. And when we, kind of, when we really study even the first four chapters here, we see just example after example after example that just doesn't compute with total depravity, doesn't compute with original sin. It doesn't make sense. Right. So, uh, yeah, point is, I, I think that this kind of, that this is one of those areas that uh, undercut it. So we think, so we see that also, we forget that people were created in the image of God, right? The Imago Dei. His law is written on our hearts and they can rule over their sin. Athe atheists can rule over the sin. 
Um, but remember, you can rule over. It doesn't mean that you haven't fallen into it. If you fall into it, you're not righteous. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. You're not perfect. So yeah, you can rule over it. You can discipline yourself, but usually after you've fallen a few times, right? So we just know that few ever do. So you can rule over it, but we just know that few ever do. And just let's get out of the, the theological headspace for a minute. Just think back to the last sin that you did, the purposeful sin that you knew that was wrong. Did you have an option to not do it? Did you consider it? Did you think, hmm, I know this is wrong, I shouldn't do it, and then you did it anyways? Do you think that it was just you couldn't possibly change your mind? Think again. Think about other times where you were going to sin and then you didn't. Isn't that evidence that you are able to rule over your sin? You are able to make a good decision, rule over your evil desires, and choose the good path? You see this all the time. If you look at your life, I know, I know everyone that's watching this can think back and think of times that they made the right decision and they ruled over evil and they didn't do it, and times they made the wrong decision and they committed a sin that they knew was wrong and they did it anyways. I've done that this week, <laughs> today, okay? Right, and then right here. So, again, um, we they have that. They are no longer – and so if you have done that, what Brian was just talking about, you've fallen into sin, and therefore you need a Savior. And since we all have a desire, a Yetzer Hurrah and a Yetzer Hatov, we can deduce that all have sinned. Hence what Paul was saying. Paul was actually in, like, Romans 1 and 2, like, giving a huge Jewish commentary – and like de reducing it down to like two chapters. Like it's, it's very compressed, um, if you understand what he's getting at. So God is, quote, warning him that the evil inclination, this is how the, uh, uh, a rabbi was explaining this, is like, you know, they're warning him that the evil inclination crouches by the door, waiting to be let in so it can cause a man to sin. He encouraged him to overcome his evil inclination and repent, which means to turn away from, right? So that makes sense why repentance is, is part of the, the, the steps towards salvation. Right. Is because you can't have faith in a Savior saving you from your sin if you don't know that you're sinful. That's mm -hmm. what Paul's talking about, Romans 3 like, hey, it's not your genetics. You messed up. And you need someone to save you from that sin that is going to destine you to a life without God. The point is here is that it, you are able to over repent and you're able to have, um, you're able to turn away from. And again, it means it makes sense that if you have a good and an evil inclination that there, there is a thing that you can turn away from, mm -hmm. turn away from that thing that you've been doing and turn to the other thing you know is right. Repent and believe, repent and be, and put your faith and trust in God. And what that's of course, when you put your faith and trust in God, you are faithful because if you love me, you keep my commandments and therefore, you live in repentance and uh, continually try to pursue your the right thing and the good desire. Doesn't mean you're not going to mess up, but that's why we confess our sins one to another for accountability. It all makes sense here. Yeah, Galatians it, three. The whole reason the law was there was so that they could see that they were always falling short. And like I know a guy I worked with today, he had the opportunity to really take advantage of a situation. Um, I'm not going to say what it is on here, um, but he is not a believer. And he didn't. And I was, I was like, oh, why? I was like, oh, you, you didn't do X, Y, Z. He goes, no, it wasn't the right thing to do, is what he said. Hmm. And I was like, hmm, interesting. So uh, anyway, uh, remember, your theology has to align with reality. I just can't help but keep like hammering this point because also progressives will redefine things too. Well, suddenly this become like if this can become a divine decree where God just works in mystery between man's free will and man's will and his desire, and but he all really decreed it and determined it, but we can't really reconcile. It. We just appeal to mystery. We don't know. Um, 
probably means that your theology is, is just isn't robust, okay? And it's not correct. Just like progressive Christians will come back here and they redefine things. Mm -hmm. Do not do that. <laughs> like, let the text speak for itself a little bit here. Um, one of the other things, like, for example, like progressive Christians will say that when Jesus told Lazarus to come out, they were like, oh, well, see, he's telling him to come out of the closet. You're like, wait, what? Or like that when Jonathan loved David, like, see, they're gay. And they're inserting things in the text that just simply aren't there. Oh, yeah, or David and his friend. I'll see their, their lovers. It's like, get out of here. Just like when it's, the scripture's like, all right, for every man, every man, woman, and child, for the entire world, when the Son of Man is lifted up, uh, so he, I call all men unto myself, just like when we start redefining that as only certain types of people. It's the same thing, all right? We just, no, stop it. Bad. <laughs> Not good. Anyway, um, so... We all this a lot of talk of original sin there. I apologize, but I feel like I wanted to make sure that that was a clear discussion point that we've kind of hinted to it, but I don't think we've properly addressed it much. Um, here soon, I think we'll post uh, when I was on alternate media. Yeah, we, and I think we might even do a full episode just on original sin. Oh yeah, we'll definitely start do that. to finish. We'll beat it down. So um, verse eight says this: and Cain had words words with Havel, his brother. We had words. <laughs> then one time. When they were in the field, Cain turned on Havel, his brother, and killed him. Dang. That escalated quickly. God warned you. <laughs> so this is the first murder in Scripture. Okay? That's a weird idea that the, there's this weird idea that's kind of gone around, especially in progressive circles, that this was manslaughter because he didn't really know how to kill anybody because they hadn't killed anyone yet. But remember, they just sacrificed goats and stuff. They know how to kill, okay? He's just they, holding this rock. It's all bloody. He's like, how did that happen? What? Wake up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Um, no, it, he knew what he did. Exactly. So this is a... Um, that is that is also this idea of it being manslaughter is an entirely new, never before been discussed or believed uh, thing in history. It's never been historically held by any group. So again, you have to think about it for a second. If you have this new position that no one has ever held doctrinally, and everyone else always explained it a, a different way, you come up with a new one thinking that you're right. You're probably not. Okay. Yeah. You're, you're either a prophet, the world's smartest person. Or you're wrong. <laughs> We're gonna go with you're wrong, because I think uh, rabbis who, uh, rabbis, priests of old who actually were the people who communed with God know what they're talking about, and I believe the apostles knew what they were talking about. I believe the early church fathers knew what they were talking about, because they actually interacted with the people who was teaching the stuff. Okay, so anyway, um, so anyway, this was the first murder, and if what the rabbis of old say is true. Cain and Abel actually had a disagreement over land. And then they also had a disagreement with wives, because remember, they were both born with sisters, and Cain pulled rank. Um, and now we have this over the sacrifices. So evidently, there was a rivalry that was long and historical leading up to this point. So these were brothers who were apparently had a sibling rivalry. This is something that's been discussed many times. And who knows? I don't know what your relationship is with your siblings. I have a good relationship with mine, so I think we're good. I should talk to mine more than I do, but I have a pretty good relationship with mine. Do you have a sibling rivalry there, Brian? Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> we still fight like we're eight years old, so. See, there it is. Just um, uh, a lot more sassy with bigger words now, so. Um, but well, I think it's clear, too, when you look at Cain and Abel, I think you can even see that that Cain's holding Abel as, as essentially this idol, right? He's, he's right. jealous. He wants what he has. And right. Cain, Cain holds, uh, Abel is Cain's idol. Mm -hmm. 
Like, yeah, that older brother, that one brother or sister who just seems to have everything right and you're just jealous and you want to be them. It's that same idea. Um, so this shows the right. So it shows that Cain desired everything in Abel's life. He wanted everything Abel had and he was jealous of Abel's approval. Thus, he put Abel on a pedestal and became envious and therefore made him his idol. Because envy a lot is usually just one more step away from idolatry in many ways. Mm-hmm. So that's a really powerful thought, really, when you think about it. When you consider that for a second, it's uh, it's actually kind of like, oh, wow, do I make an idol of anybody in my life? I hope not, you know? like So consider that. If there's somebody in your life that you are jealous of or envious of, don't make them your idol and don't, don't compare yourself to them. You have to, uh, in the words of Jordan Peterson, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. Yeah, like celebrities. Like, our culture is so into Ugh. celebrity worship. Like, oh, what did that celebrity tell me about politics? Okay, that's true. Or, ooh, what did that celebrity buy? Oh, I need that. It's like, you don't want the celebrity lifestyle. They're all terrible people. They have terrible marriages. They have all kinds of problems. They have a lot of money, and that's, like, the only good thing they get going for But it's more, so- more it is more comfortable to sob in a mansion than in my house. True. Or to break down in a Mercedes than a Malibu. I could sob in an infinity pool looking over L.A. That'd be kind of nice. <laughs> my life is horrible. <laughs> Let me wipe my tears with these millions of dollars. <laughs> well, like $100 bills. Like you got some Benjis that you're wiping your eyes with. <laughs> oh, how do we get here? All right. Um, so either way to me, it is clear that Abel was Cain's idol. Okay, I think that's clear. So now verses 9 through 6 says, Adonai said to Cain, where is Havel your brother? And he replied, I don't know. Am I my brother's guardian? He (laughs) said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood at your hands. When you farm the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a fugitive wandering the earth. By the way, Notice how he goes after his the, his, uh, his trade. Mm-hmm. He was a farmer. Now the ground will no longer do that. So Uh-oh. Cain said to Adonai, but my punishment is greater than I can bear. You are banning me today from the land and from your presence. I will be a fugitive wandering the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. And Adonai answered him, therefore, whoever kills Cain will receive vengeance sevenfold. And Adonai put a sign on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain left the presence of Adonai and lived in the land of Nod, which means wandering east of Eden. Um, and the land of wandering is exactly the same place that Adam went to <laughs> when he was cast out of Eden. Fun fact. So it's that idea of just you're wandering. He's a nomad. I just be in the beginning of time and like every place you go for some circumstance, like got to name it this. This is, uh, I was hungry and messed up dinner tonight, Landon. <laughs> this is my, I'm exiled. I'm wandering land. <sighs> That's unfortunate. Anyway, <laughs> so we see that right here. God confronts Cain in hopes of repentance, right? What is it that you have done? Where's your brother? But he does not, and instead he plays ignorant and even kind of gets mouthy, like, am I my brother's keeper? Am I my brother's guardian? Get out of here, God. Like, who are you? Come on, man. Yeah, we see Cain lie directly to God. And I actually had a little Twitter conversation that I inserted this in because um, I was asking the question, did Adam sin when he essentially blamed God for creating Eve and Eve giving him the fruit? And uh, this person made the point of, well, 
you know, he was just compelled to tell the truth because he's in front of God. You'd be compelled to tell the truth. I'm like, except one more chapter later when Cain is not compelled to tell the truth. He's like, I don't know. I don't know what happened to him. Hey, you do. You know exactly what happened to him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so he's lying to God. Apparently that's your... You have freedom to do that, Can too. imagine God at this point? <laughs> if God was, like, within time and knew and did not know all things, he's probably like, man, these people keep lying to me. <laughs> Get real tired of it. Um, so Cain lies directly to God, and, of course, God knows where Abel is because God calls it out and says that the blood cries out from the earth. Now, some people can take the, most people take this as figurative, right? Like, oh, okay, so his blood cries out. It's a poetic way of saying that I know he was murdered. This is a fascinating statement, though, especially for Judaism, because this goes back into the idea of life is in the blood. The source of life that, uh, and this is the source of life, and that which has a spiritual connection. This is why without the spilling of blood, there is no remission of sins. Blood has a spiritual connection. Um, and actually, it's if it's the source of life, and thus the price to pay when sin when one sins and becomes dead in their trespasses and sins. This is interesting because that, the Jews actually, and many of them teach and have believed that the soul is in the blood, which is actually kind of weird because I think we think of it in the brain. <laughs> so am I like making horcruxes every time I give blood? Oh my word. <laughs> No, Brian, you to kill someone I will, today. I will live forever. You, no, I've given blood Brian, like so many times. Brian, Brian, you have to kill someone and make a horcrux. Apparently not. I just got to split my soul. Oh, my word. So the, Out of context application. Yeah, no joke. <laughs> so the soul is in the blood, okay? That's kind of the idea here. So Genesis says that Nishma Chaim, which is the soul of life, was breathed into the lungs of every man and then man became a living soul. And the living soul is Lenefesh Chaya. So this is uh, the idea of a living soul. So um, again, the breath of life, okay, created a living soul. So Hashem, which is God, says that the Nefesh, the soul, is in the blood as it cries out from the ground. So again, you could take this as, I know what you've done, but it fits in the Hebrew that the soul is in the blood, hence the soul of every living creature it talks about. Because uh, there's this idea, too, that creatures don't have souls. But it's like, no, creatures have souls. It's just they're not created in the image of God. And they don't necessarily have an afterlife, right? So the soul of every living thing. That's the point there. So even living creatures have blood, right? So soul. But the difference is we are in the image of bearers of God, and we have the breath of life, which makes us special. And it gives us uh, cognizance and consciousness and all these other things. So blood is in the plural tense here as well. People point out like bloods, like in the Hebrew, if you look at it, it's plural. But I think this means perfect tense. Like the, it, it's a perfect tense idea, um, meaning the fact that complete and full. Kind of like the name of God in Elohim is a, a perfect present plural, meaning the perfection and fullness of God. Yeah, and you can also follow along lines of, you know, we are, our sins are covered by the blood of Christ perfectly. Um, and I think it makes sense if you look at it like, okay, this... God's being a lot more literal about blood than I think we do in our modern culture. So he's, he's the, the perfect blood of Christ is literally covering all of our blood, all of our sin. And so when God, the father looks at us, he sees the perfect blood of Christ. That's pretty cool. Right. So he's seeing the perfect, if you, if you apply the soul aspect, he's seeing the perfect soul of Christ. He's seeing the soul of God when he looks at you, if you are in Christ. Right. Well, I think that's, 
And uh, I uh, talked talk to Brandon Seamus that, that Jews actually would say that because the multiverse, or if you could say, you know, with people get into millennialism if you're, but like the, the idea of all multiple worlds of what cans and cannots and all those things exist in the mind of God, that when one repents and believes, God takes the pa the possible world in which they did no sin and applies it to them, hence Christ uh, replacing it for you. I find that really interesting. Hmm. There's a lot of weird, different themes you could go with with this. Like, there's a lot of interesting things in Jewish philosophy. But point is, what I think is interesting here is just the idea that, again, the blood is related, right? Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Because, again, if the soul is in the blood and that is a source of life, I've screwed up and I've corrupted my soul with my sin, mm -hmm. then something needs to cover it. And that's what the idea is here, to cover it, um, to wash it clean, okay? So uh, was Cain, and then the other thing is when he goes, but my punishment is more than I could bear. People have asked, if, is this a genuine repentance uh, or is he just paying lip service to God? Again, opinions abound, like always in Genesis. But since God showed him some mercy here, because he could have just had him killed or just sent him out and never protected him, I tend to believe that this was a genuine repentance because, like, I feel like a lot of people, when you're lying and trying to get out of it, but then you're finally busted, that is when all the consequences weigh down on you and mm -hmm. the consequences make you, make, make you feel ashamed, and then you start trying to – you start repenting because you start realizing how bad it is. I think that's the point of you punishing your child even is you're trying to get them to realize the consequences and have them repent. Yeah, I think we see a parallel here with Adam and Eve too, right? They're they're also being honest about what happened to them, and God shows God shows mercy. Mm -hmm. I think Cain's here, finally now being honest, and yeah, this this punishment seems more than he can bear, and God then shows mercy again. So notice how God showed mercy here to a murderer, even. Many Christians could learn from this, actually, especially mm -hmm. in some of the groups that I'm associated with. So many people have so much bitterness, and they want to show zero mercy to anyone who has wronged them. But here it's like, dude, to a murderer, God showed mercy. And you can't show mercy to someone who says some mean words to, about you or to you or whatever, man. Um, so anyway, whoever killed Cain, he said, would receive seven times the judgment. Seven times being perfect, seven being perfect. Abel is only avenged seven generations later, by the way, and Cain's family began to mirror his horrible behavior in many ways, if you go through the genealogy. So notice my the uh, notice many point to this and go see other people were on earth but this is speaking in future tense and doesn't require cause for concern when he says that I will be hunted down and be killed. Yeah, so. he could be worried that Adam's going to kill him. Like you killed my son, man. Like we don't know who he's worried about killing him, but he's thinking that there's going to be retaliation for what he's done. Right. So but some people point to this and go, okay, well, clearly there are other people in other cities, so now he's worried about them. It doesn't actually say that. You you could take that from the text, but it doesn't seem to be saying that, at least when I read it. It seems like he's saying, well, in the future, I think I'm I'm going to reap what I sowed here, and I'm worried I'm going to get killed for killing, killing Abel. Right. So um, now the next question is, of course, what is the mark of Cain? Yeah. This is that cool little mark that uh, Dean Winchester had in Supernatural on his arm. Uh, <laughs> it's a little lightning tattoo across his forehead. What is Second with the Harry, Harry Potter, Potter references? Why? <laughs> Someone uh, made a bet with me. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, so what is the mark? Well, we were never told, and this actually drives me crazy. I really want to know what that <laughs> mark is. It's just such a little thing that he just like flies over. And you're like, wait, no, what, what is it? So here are some Jewish thoughts on this. 
and I'm just going to list them, uh, that God placed a letter of his holy name on Cain's forehead, that he lost his image bearerness of God by killing like an animal, so therefore he is now like an animal, so God had to restore it, otherwise the animals might kill him, so then he had to restore his image of bearerness to him, so that way the animals would be scared of him again and flee from him <laughs> again. So, or there's th three, which God gave him a dog to accompany him. <laughs> Man's best friend. That's where it began. Um, number it's Fido. Don't mess with Fido. <laughs> Cliff Clifford, the big red dog. All right. <laughs> the, did you see they're making a non-animated movie of that now? Like a live no. action Clifford movie? I loved the Clifford books as a kid. Really? I feel like the movie's going to be awful, though. I feel like whenever. Nah, most Hollywood's getting desperate. All right. Uh, number four, that they believe that maybe the sun would rise and set specifically for Cain. Therefore, everyone would know that God forgave him um, or that God placed a horn on his head. Safe to say, I don't think really anyone knows how different all these theories are. <laughs> I'm picturing the horn on his head like the like that guy at the January 6th thing. With like the weird hat on, that's what I'm with Nancy oh Pelosi's lecture. That's what I'm picturing when you said <laughs> I, horn on his head. <laughs> why are you like this? Oh my goodness! So Don't anyway. mess with that guy. <laughs> he means business. <laughs> okay, I'm firing you. I'm finding a new co-host. All right. So he moved to Nod, which is to wander at the same place again that Adam went. So now verses 17 through 26 says this. Cain had sexual relations with his wife, Giggity. She conceived and gave him gave birth to Hanach. Cain built a city and named the city after his son Hanach. So Hanach was born uh, was born Irad. Irad fathered. Uh, wow, this one always gets. This is, why I said this, I wasn't is this is this, this is gonna, <laughs> you're normally Methuselah. Is what I want to say, but it's a uh, Mechuiel. Wow. That was tough. Brad so, and Seamus are going to watch this in text. Methuzael fathered uh, Methuzael, and Methuzael fathered Lamech. Lamech took for himself two wives. The same of the one was Ada, while the name of the other was Silah. Adah gave birth to Yaval, and he was the ancestor of those who live in the tents and have cattle. His brother's name was Yuval, and the ancestors of all who play lyre and flute, and Tezala gave birth to Tevelkain, who forged all kinds of tools from brass and iron. The, sisters, uh, the sister of Tevelkain was Naamah, and Lamech said to his wives, so uh, hold on, before we jump into that, I, people go, why are you reading the genealogies? Genealogies are actually extremely important to scripture. I, <clears throat> I get it. They are boring to read through, but it's mm -hmm. a way to trace history. Uh, if anyone knows that, it's a great way to trace history. Um, also kind of shows that God doesn't forget you. You know, it's kind of a, a cool little, uh, there is a devotional thought for you. I think it also helps just looking at, the, the, we have a lot of modern thought around that Adam and Eve weren't real and, Ad, and Cain and Abel weren't real. These are just character types of, of just mm -hmm. kind of situations that were passed down through the years. But they're tracing these people back specifically through lineages. I think this is, this is God showing, hey, this is real. These are real people. This is real life. And here is where they came from. And, you know, when Israel's passing this down orally before Moses put it down, you know, they're going, oh, that's so-and-so's grandpa. <laughs> that makes sense. Right. <laughs> well, and again, so remember when I said when you come up with doctrines that are new, the Jews have always taken them as literal. Mm -hmm. So, again, if you're taking that as figurative, you are in the historical minority of the entire faith. These are literal people. 
Now, whether there was other people born in these, or those, I think there, that, there could be actually open debate there. I'm cool mm-hmm. with that. But I don't think you could take it as they were figurative. Again, you can't have a figurative atom than a literal uh, second atom in Christ. It doesn't really make yeah, sense. That doesn't make sense. So anyway, as he could, so Lamech, this is the important guy here. Lamech said to his wives, uh, Ada and Tzala, listen to me. Wise of Lamech, hear what I say. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man who injured me. If Cain will be avenged sevenfold, the Lamech 77-fold. Adam, again, has sexual relations with his wife, and she gave birth to a son whose name was Shet, um, which it would be Seth, okay, meaning granted. So for God, he has granted me another seed in place of Hevel, you know, so he was replacing Ad- Abel, since Cain killed him. So Shet, too, was born a son whom he called Enosh, which is Enoch. That is when people began to call on the name of Adonai. So, Lamech, by the way, what, what is he saying here? I find that really weird. So a lot of people read this part, and they think of when he's, like, talking to his wives, Lamech is like, listen to me. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man who injured me. He's, like, bragging, that's what people think, right? People think he's, like, braggadocious. I killed a man for wounding me. I am the greatest. And people are like, wow, look at that. Like father, like son, or great-grandson, or whatever you are. He's seven generations after. But that's actually not what's getting at here. Uh, Rabbis have talked about this as well, and this is actually what the Hebrew is getting at. He's actually kind of mourning because he killed Cain. Oh. So Cain is killed eventually, but God protected him until the time was time to take him back and he was killed, killed. by his own family too yep uh there's a lot of poetic justice going on here actually <laughs> so that's what he's actually getting at um so i want to talk about that for a second so abel's abel is avenged um and this is a story from rachi where they explain a little bit more just as god promised abel was avenged seven generations later when cain died at the hands of his descendant lamech one day, and this is this is the story, and you can people can take it or leave it however you want. One day, Lamech, who was blind, why he, a blind man went hunting with his son, I don't know. But here we go. So he went hunting with his son to Valkain. Because Lamech was blind, his son would tell him where to aim his bow, and Lamech would shoot. Tuvelkain noticed a, a, an animal moving in the forest. He directed his father, and Lamech let an arrow fly, killing the beast. Approaching the, quote, animal, Tuvelkain realized, to his horror, that it was none other than Cain himself. When he told his father what he had just done, Lamech clapped his hands together in grief and mistakenly striking Tuvelkain dead between his palms. According to the tradition that God placed a horn on Cain's head, it might be understandable why Tuvel Cain mistook him for an animal. I don't know how true this story is, but I find it an interesting thought. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it would put in perspective what he's talking about being Avenged 77-fold, right? Because he's like, well, if killing Cain meant killing him was seven, seven-fold uh, avengement, then now that I've killed him, 
now I it should now, be seventy seven. And then of course it says right here that he it, they were saying that he also killed Tuval Cain with his hands by accident because he, he like out of his grief he may have like clapped his I don't know hit the kids temples or something I don't know. Um, very interesting. Just does an interesting thought. Like I just find this to be an interesting little thought experiment. But either way, he that's why he's saying, listen to me. I killed a man for wounding me. So. Um, whether wounding him emotionally or physically, who knows? But um, a young man who injured me, most likely physical. So maybe there is also what could have happened is that he was attacked um, by Cain uh, or they got in a tussle or something happened. And But either way, he accidentally killed him, hence Lamech 77-fold. So there's a simple moral here, okay? The simple moral of this entire story of Genesis 4. Besides original sin being wrong, <laughs> which we covered a lot. Yes. After we sin, many of us refuse to admit it. Notice how Cain does. He, uh, so, guys, if you uh, refuse to admit it, guys, be honest. Admit it. When someone is honest with you, too, if they're confessing to you, show mercy, as God does. This does not mean that there are no consequences, because notice how Cain was still kicked out. He still yeah. suffered consequences for his sin. Um, but he wasn't tortured and killed. This does not mean that there is no consequences, but that mercy should be considered in the judgment. Uh, I think this is a big problem nowadays because whenever we hear of anyone being a victim of anything, whether it is physical abuse, emotional abuse, uh, spiritual abuse, sexual, whatever, whatever abuse, it's like you take that person and you clean them out no matter how repentant they are years later, no matter where they're at in their spiritual growth. Yep. Take them to the cleaners. You deserve it. Um, they sinned against you, so that's therefore the unforgivable sin, and they're worse than you, and they right. deserve eternal torment. And I, again, I'm not saying there's not consequences, but cons- mercy should be considered in the judgment. That is why I have had opportunities to press charges against certain people, but I've just chosen not to, where I've, I have said I just had a conversation with a person, and I don't really associate with that person in my life. But it doesn't mean that I hate them. It's just, well, no, you're cast out. You're in the land of Nod, if you will. You're in the land of Wander to me. You're dead to me. No, um, but yeah. it's just the idea of like, no, you're, you're gone. Um, and you I see these two no extremes need. of Christianity, right, where we have this, the one side that's just like, no, God's all love, and we just got to love, 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 love. And it's essentially mercy and, and forgiveness no matter what. And then you see this other side where it's like, we're just going to follow the justice of God, and you've done wrong, so here's your punishment, and no matter what. And we see God as both justice and love, and we see him balancing this mm-hmm. all the time. And I think we got to stop trying to grab one side or the other. we got to grab both. If we want to be Christ-like, we see that balance of love and justice perfectly in both sides. And, you know, a lot of people have that kind of connotation. The Old Testament God is just this mean, angry person, constantly just smiting people left and right. And we see here just, when we did Genesis 3, we saw... God mercy. Showed, God showed mercy. Over and over and over again. And we see here, Cain kills Abel. Mercy. Protection. Yeah, he's the same Life. God. He's the same, the same God. God. Like, this whole idea of Old Testament's the God of wrath, New Testament's the God of love. That's just... That, I, don't, I don't even know where that came from. It's, it's just absolutely garbage. <laughs> it's the same God, and you see the same patterns throughout. Yeah. Um, why do you think even Jesus is going to repent for the kingdom of God? It's a hand. He's warning of wrath, while at the same time also teaching about God's love. Yeah. Others, after they sin, though, uh, another thing is that they will wallow in hurt and self-pity, and uh, they're unable to pick themselves up and move forward. 
And that's not what the Bible teaches here. And I think we should take a lesson from Cain here. Whoa, I'm saying we should learn from Cain. Oh, boy. <laughs> so Cain, what did he do? Okay, he killed his brother. I mean, he was horrible. I mean, that's horrible. He leaves. God shows him mercy. He leaves. He re But what does he do? After Cain's sin, the text describes him of having a child, building a city, so that way there's provision for his family and his descendants. He leaves a legacy for them. Cain not only repented of his sin, right? Because he's like, God, you know, there's too much more than I can bear, but did something beneficial with his life. He had destroyed human life, but chose to populate it instead. So he took human life and then he gave human life afterwards, making recompense. This reminds us not to allow ourselves to be pulled down by our old shortcomings. Yeah. Harness your feelings of remorse and channel them into being something productive. And as somebody who's screwed up a lot in his life, I've hurt many people. I have been very terrible of a few person in the, my, the past. That was something I had to get past. I was just like, well, you just got to move on. You got to get, you got to put some of that stuff behind you so I can actually build something productive. So I can have a family, have a daughter, have a, have a wife and a child and friends and a church. Because for a while there, yeah, there was that whole, I, this is what I am. This is what I've done. How could I ever overcome it? Well, I think, you know, a lot of times you think about, well, if we have a near death experience, okay, that's the time to like, okay, you got to take advantage of the second chance. Or, you know, you get a big windfall, someone gives you a lot of money, whatever, you win the lottery, like, okay, I got to take advantage of, of, this, of this great thing I've been given. But how often do we, do we stop and take, take note and adjust our life after we've been given mercy? And I think that's just not something we typically do. We go, oh, cool, thanks, and then we move on. But I, let being given mercy be a watershed moment in your life too. Let that be a reason to change. Let that be a reason to refocus on God. Let that be a reason to, to turn away from your past sin and do better. Agreed. So anyway, um, I hope this episode has been helpful. I hope it's helped you maybe consider an original sin, maybe some things that you haven't thought about before. And again, um, the idea when I talk to you guys is when I, we're saying this stuff, it's not because we think we're smarter than everybody. I think you and I have been on a, in a hunt for things. Mm -hmm. We challenge things. And um, I believe God is consistent and I don't believe God is confusing. I don't believe the text is trying to deceive us or imply certain things that aren't actually there. Right? Like if God says you can rule over it, then you can rule over it. Yeah. Um, I don't believe we should you know, go, well, it's a mystery and just appeal to certain things that are confusing. Um, if it's overly confusing, it probably means you don't understand it well and that you have a bad understanding. Now, I say that God's thoughts not are, are above our thoughts. He's an all-powerful, omnipotent, omniscient being, infinite in his majesty and glory. Yeah, I'm not going to be able to fully wrap my brain around him, but he will make sense because I'm created in his image. The word became flesh. The Greek word is literally logos, which is the which is the means word and where we get the word logic from is the idea of order and structure. So the God's order and structure became flesh and dwelt among us. So, and we, Jesus makes sense, right? Yeah, and I think when you see us, you know, online having these conversations, and they they might be long conversations. We're going back and forth, and we're we're characterizing things differently and we're restating things. Um, just realize we've already had that conversation between us and these different things where we've gone back and forth. Like, I don't know. I don't think you're right on that. And we're sending text messages for hours or face to face and just having a, a, a fun debate or doing those things with friends. Um, we're not doing it because we don't have love or a genuine heart for 
the people that don't agree with us, um, but we think that these things are important enough to talk about them and to try to find the truth. And I think one of the most important things that we can do in our life is try to understand God. Absolutely. Yeah, that's the idea of theology. And understanding God will allow us to live our lives better. It will help us with the sanctification process. It will help us make fewer bad steps. It would allow us to rule over sin. Also, I think it'll make us better in our apologetics. There's a reason why we're like, well, we want to go towards theology and apologetics, and we've primarily kept a theology. It's because how can I reach somebody for God if I don't have a proper framework to work within? If I'm telling somebody, no, you were born evil, hateful against God, that every little part of you is evil and disgusting and revolting and you are nothing but a worm and if God even chooses to save one human being, he is merciful. Really, I, in my view, I think it makes God rather capricious and shows partiality, really. But if you're telling somebody this or like, yeah, you're just a worm or you know, all your desire is evil, when they know for a fact that's not true, they're not going to hear another word of your gospel message because they're going, no, that's not true. I, I do know right from wrong. You might be able to have a better explanation why they have that thought of right and wrong, and you can point to this. You can point to a proper yeah. understanding. Yeah, you have that because you have the knowledge of good and evil. You have these different yetzers, but because you have sinned, you need a savior. Like, it allows you to have better, a better way to articulate with people, you know? Yeah. It should be aligned with reality. It should be aligned with Scripture. If you're, telling, if you're trying to witness to someone, they're like, that isn't real life, you're probably going to lose them. Just like if someone in the IFB is saying, well, you, you, you got to read out of this King James Bible or you don't have real scripture, and they're like, that doesn't make sense. Aren't, aren't these all those Bibles? I read this when I was a kid when I went to church. I was saved out of an NIV. Yeah, what are you talking about? Those things just don't make sense. And when you, when you cr- create logical contradictions to people, and everyone does this. This is not just one specific theology or another. We all have these problems, and that's why we want to talk about these. Because when you have logical contradictions, you know what they cause? They cause splits. Mm. Because people focus on their emotions. They go, okay, well, I can't focus on the logic of this because I'm holding a logical contradiction. So now I just have to have an emotional response. I have to make an emotional argument because I'm, I'm leaving logic at the door. And that's when you have problems. That's when you have gossip. That's when you have division. That's when we don't unify as a church. True. So this all goes back to the whole unification of the church, avoiding church splits. We need One way you're going to do that is avoid logical contradictions and having a consistent theology that matches reality and scripture. Right, and this isn't. And if somebody tries to clap back with, "Well, you're making mankind the judge," it's like, no, I'm using the word of God to compare to reality and go, "Yeah, this makes sense to reality." If I have to redefine reality to match the text, the text isn't reality at all. It's not real. How can the text claim something? Like that actually drives me nuts. I'm like, no, no. If it doesn't appeal to reality, it can't be real because reality is real. It's in the name. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it has to make sense to reality. If it does not make sense to reality, it's garbage. Throw it out. Um, By the way, it's the same argument you make against atheists. Like when they're like, well, you know, we're all just a big cosmic space accident. Okay, then then where did we come from? What? Why is did, there something rather than nothing? When did something go from inanimate matter to living biology? Oh, you're going to peel the mystery too? Oh, you see all this? is the same problem. It's the same problem. We, all, we hate it. Uh, in in theologies and worldviews that don't agree with us, but we should also be looking at ourselves. And there's a lot of theology that I've shed that I was like, yep, that's right, but I really didn't think about it that much. Right. 
and yeah, so anyway, point is challenge yourselves a little bit here and share, and if you guys haven't already, please share us there, these along. Um, I think this is helpful, even though I know we're getting probably less activity on our Genesis series than anything else, I think these here are some of the best building blocks for a good theology. Uh, I pull, because Paul appeals to Genesis. Actually, you look at a bunch of the writers, they're constantly appealing to the Genesis account uh, in so many things because it is a vital piece. It is the foundation of the faith. Everything needs to be read through the lens of Genesis, okay? Um, so anyway, I uh, hope this was helpful. If you haven't already, like and subscribe. Uh, check it out. Also, leave us a five-star review with some funny response in the review section on Apple Podcasts. And uh, leave us a funny comment below, and maybe you'll be featured in our next episode. Thanks, guys, for watching, and uh, appreciate you guys making it a fun year for us in 2021. Yeah, absolutely. So take care, and God bless.